Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. This podcast episode is sponsored by Astrology Hubs Academy. Wherever you are on your astrology journey, we have a class that will help you get to the next level. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I'd like to talk to you about Venus turning retrograde in the zodiac sign of Leo on July 22nd. Retrogrades. What are retrogrades? Retrogrades are the period of time when it looks like a planet is moving backwards in the sky. Usually planets proceed forward normally in a typical orbit, but there are certain times of the year when a planet will appear to be moving backwards in the sky, and this is called a retrograde. Now, planets don't really move backwards in the sky. If they did, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) But what it really refers to is an optical illusion based on the fact of the Earth moving perhaps a bit faster than the planet in the sky is. And so that's what creates the illusion or the appearance of the planet moving backwards in the sky. But for astrologers, this period of time when planets move backwards in the sky, this period of time was looked at with some measure of consternation, some measure of anxiety, because there was a feeling that the planets were up to no good or perhaps even mischief now that they were not acting in accordance to their true nature as determined by their forward movement, by their orbit. So the general rule for retrograde planet and all planets turn retrograde with the exception of the luminaries. The sun doesn't turn retrograde and the moon doesn't turn retrograde. They just eclipse each other. But the other planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and even the modern ones, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, they all can turn and will turn retrograde. So during this period of time when a planet is retrograde, it is said to have done an about-face, okay? It was moving forward in its orbit, and now it's moving backward in its orbit. So what the planet does is that it shows its reverse face. It shows its other side. I think we're all pretty familiar with a Mercury retrograde, right? Mercury, in astrology, is a planet that's often associated to transactions, to buying and selling, which makes perfect sense because the Latin root of Mercury is Merc, and Merc is where we get our words merchant and merchandise. So the idea of buying and selling, of communicating, of jotting down receipts and showing copies of sale orders, these are all things that are ruled by Mercury. And so when Mercury is moving forward in the sky, these are things that we expect to go swimmingly. We expect to be able to buy and sell with ease and without having to worry about things like defects or problems with the merchandise. So when Mercury is said to be retrograde, we're often told by astrologers not to sign anything, not to purchase anything, particularly 
anything dealing with transportation or technology. It's almost as if they're saying that during a Mercury retrograde, you don't know if that car you're looking at or, or if that computer or phone that you're thinking of buying came from off the back of the truck.com. Okay, so where Mercury is basically the patron planet of shop owners when it's moving direct, of people who provide us with our goods, our produce, the things that we want to purchase, Mercury then becomes the patron planet of shop lifters when it's retrograde. You have to look out for what you're buying, check under the hood to make sure that the car is as functional as is being said. And that is basically why astrologers often warn you not to purchase or buy or sell things during a Mercury retrograde. So now we're dealing with Venus retrograde. So, so what does Venus retrograde mean? Well, we know that Venus was named after the Roman goddess of love and beauty. We also know that in addition to love and beauty and culture and pleasures and delights, which Venus is responsible for, we also know that Venus is responsible for betrothals, uh, which is the pledge that a couple makes to be with one another. And betrothal uh, comes from the Middle English be true, be truth, troth was true. So to be true, I will be true to you. And then the other idea is truces and treaties, contracts. These are things that are ruled by Venus because Venus brings harmony and harmony brings peace. And peace is beautiful. It's something that we all value. Peace, which shows off the benefic quality of Venus, peace. During peacetime, it's often a time of prosperity, that societies are happiest and produce most when they are at peace. And that is not the case when they are at war. In recent centuries, what we've come to learn is that war is very expensive. Why is it expensive? Well, it's not only expensive in terms of the human cost and um, the armaments and things like that, that that go about to make a war, that are called upon to make a war, but whoever wins the war has then the price of upkeep that they have to attend to. In other words, how do you take care of all that property that's been wiped out, of all those people that have been disenfranchised? So war comes with great cost, not only a moral and a spiritual cost, but a tremendous financial cost, as we are now seeing in the case of the uh, war that's going on in the Ukraine. And we see how much that that has upset things like trading and buying and selling and the displacement of peoples and the awful, awful degree of violence that takes place. So this is why war is connected to Mars, which is a malefic. And peace and prosperity and profit is connected to Venus. Okay, these are things that Venus brings. So when Venus turns retrograde, we're kind of expecting Venus to show her opposite side, her opposite face. So if Venus is retrograde, that's when things get ugly. Okay, so uh, we might think, think that, oh, wow, things are really going to get ugly now that Venus is turning retrograde. Um, or things that were beautiful or things that we're now loving have now become malicious or hateful or we're plagued by mean girls or envious people who want to stab us in the back and cause us all kinds of malice and mischief in our lives. These must be things that are associated to Venus retrograde. And in some regard, they are. But there's also more going on with a Venus retrograde than just those simple assumptions. 
the simple assumption is that there will be many breakups and divorces and broken hearts during a Venus retrograde, but there's a little bit more uh, to it than just that. So Venus is the planet of what I like in astrology, okay? It is the planet that rules over the law of attraction. And Venus's job in your astrological chart is kind of like Venus's job on your Instagram account or Facebook page or TikTok reel. It's to get you as many likes as possible. People who see things the same way that you do or laugh at the same jokes and who are just wonderful company or people that make you feel attractive and beautiful and that you in turn make feel attractive and beautiful too. When Venus turns retrograde, she changes her face from the planet of what I like to the planet of what I don't like. And so the law of attraction reverses itself. So instead of attracting the things that you like, Venus retrograde by transit will begin to attract all the things you don't like, like unholy bores or exes you never wanted to see again, people that you never got along with in the workplace that you're forced to uh, work with again. So it's the things that you don't like. And of course, Venus retrograde in a natal horoscope often does show up with a past or a history of being bullied or targeted in some sort of way. So again, it can be an attraction of things that you don't like, which is why if you have Venus retrograde in your natal chart, it's very important to find a way to redirect that energy. It's not going to be that doing all of that uh, in terms of your life, but oftentimes if you have Venus retrograde in your chart and you've been the target of bullying or difficulty in your life, uh, what it's really about is getting away from that. Maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's your culture, maybe it's your country, and finding the people who are like you. And chances are they may be outside of what would be your typical stomping grounds. And, and those are some of the lessons of, of redirection that one works with during a period of time when Venus is retrograde or if it's retrograde in your natal horoscope. The other um, idea that I want to introduce into today's discussion uh, that I've seen happen as well is that the planet withdraws its governance when it turns retrograde in the sky. So in other words, uh, it's almost like the planet withdraws its seal of approval. Okay, so if uh, Mercury's job is to make sure that transactions, buying and selling, go off without a hitch uh, during the period of time that it's retrograde, it can also be seen in regards that it has withdrawn its governance. It's withdrawn its assurance that this transaction is going to be a good uh, transaction. And so it opens up what can happen when Mercury is not governing that part of the sky that it's moving direct through. The same thing can happen with Venus. Um, Venus removes her love. Venus removes her beauty. Venus removes the seal of approval that can come with a betrothal the seal of approval that can come with a truce or with a treaty. Ultimately, Venus is going to be uh, associated to things like protocol and politesse, even politics. And so Venus removes those agreements. A simple way of thinking of it is if you sit down at a dinner party, there's, you know, a, a Venus direct would be like, oh, would you mind passing me the salt? You know, whereas Venus retrograde, would be like, salt over here, please. Okay, so it's the difference between being polite and rude, but then let's put that on a larger scale. Now, arguably, Venus is one of the most powerful deities 
in the ancient Greek pantheon. And in my opinion, Venus is one of the most powerful planets you can have in an astrological chart. I think it's amusing the way that she's put in charge of like romances and tete-a-tetes and getting together for tea parties or, you know, getting together for uh, uh, some fun afternoon, Um, you know, that she's put in charge of those things. But Venus's power in mythology, Venus's power in mythology was the power of sexual desire. She is the only deity that I know of. Definitely, she's the only deity in the Greek pantheon who is born from an orgasm. And so Venus is in charge of love. She's in charge of romance, but she's also the governess of sex and sexuality and, of course, orgasms. Okay, so that's where she gets her pleasure principle side. Okay, so so Venus rules all of this. And the more that I've worked with her, the more that I've really come to see that Sex and sexuality isn't really ruled that much by Mars. It's much more Venus, all right? Uh, so she's the one who's in charge of that department. And, um, and, and she's very powerful. So Venus's ability to inspire desire, longing, lust, possessiveness, uh, amour, troubadour, poetry, great art, music, and inspiration, this is the power that she brings to a horoscope, and this is the power that she brings to a heart. And this is the power that she brings to a psyche. So Venus can have a very beautiful, lovely, fantastic side. And Venus can have a very uh, cruel and harsh, especially if she's indifferent, a very heartbreaking side as well. So when we think about Venus, we're going to think about beauty. And, and I would like to ask you to think about beauty when we think about Venus um, the love that she rules is not um, a familial love. It's not the love, for instance, of mother and child. It's not the love that you that you feel for a sibling or a family member. Venus is interested in everything going on outside the household. So beauty, beauty is the thing that we desire to make the world a more perfect place. Beauty is something that we're attracted to. We find inspiring. We find moving, we find desirable, we find uplifting. You know, beauty makes everything good. So beauty, obviously, is also going to be responsible for feelings that are not so positive and that are not so lovely. For instance, to be the object of beauty, on one hand, you might like walk into the room, you're the object of beauty, everyone wants a selfie with you, you know, and they like want to uh, genuflect at the altar of your fabulousness, and, you know, they just want to bask in the aura and be in your, your halo. Beauty might get you special privileges, special favor. People pay a lot of money for something that is beautiful. But beauty is also the root cause of darker emotions. Beauty is the root cause of lust. Beauty can be the root cause of possessiveness. You know, I have to have that. I can't live without it. And beauty can be the root cause of envy. You know, so uh, ask anyone who's beautiful, and they will tell you about all the difficulties they've had being beautiful, how things get ascribed to them, how, how prejudices get projected onto them, how assumptions are made, and really how difficult it can be, all right? So, you know, when we think of the reversal of Venus, the breaking of troths, the breaking of truces, the breaking of treaties, and we think that by Venus removing her positive governance when she's retrograde, so 
So a Venus retrograde, for instance, might be the um, cause of lust. It might be the cause of possessiveness. It may be the cause of envy. And you can recognize very quickly in that the seeds of war and other harmful and potentially violent acts. There's one word that I want to talk about just a little bit here um, about with Venus that becomes amplified when Venus is retrograde. So in other words, Venus can always inspire things like um, lust and possessiveness and, and envy, but it becomes amplified, more unruly, without the reins controlling the horse or the chariot when it is retrograde, okay? But another word that I want to add is covet. Covet means to desire or wish for inordinately or without regard for the rights of others, okay? And this is very Venus, if you think about it. I'm going to repeat it. To desire or wish for inordinately, without ordinance, without control. When you covet, you desire or wish for something without control, without moderation. And you, de you desire or wish for something inordinately without regard for the rights of others. Regarding the rights of others is Venusian. Okay, this is, this is something she, that she absolutely brings to her horoscope. Not something we're used to thinking of when we think of her like in a, a Taurian context. Here you can obviously see the Libran context of this Venus side. Venus rules the two zodiac signs of Taurus and Libra. And so regarding the rights of others, we could almost see as a Libran expression. And it's very important for, for Venus. Venus is an insistence that the rights of others are regarded. So, so covet is to desire or wish without regard for the rights of others. It comes from the Latin word cupiditas. Cupiditas. That is the Latin word, the Latin root for the word covet. covet. Uh, it's cupiditas. And if you hear it, cupiditas, cupiditas, you can hear in cupiditas, okay, cupiditas, you can hear the word cupid, okay, cupiditas, cupid, okay. And that is where we get the English word cupidity. And cupidity was regarded as a vice because it meant covetousness. It meant coveting something that somebody else had. And covet covetousness is so dangerous that it's listed twice in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's property. And if you think about that, you can hear Taurus, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's property, and Libra, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Okay, so you see the two aspects of Venus in those two of the Ten, ten Commandments, which actually shows you the prominence um, and how important this idea is. So, cupiditas, cupidity, Cupid. We all know Cupid, right? We all know Cupid from Valentine's Day, all right? Uh, Cupid is the blindfolded uh, pooty, little angelic figure, which is blindfolded and shoots arrows, and the arrows go into your heart and and infect you with a lovesickness, okay? So, that's, that's what Cupid does. Uh, love is blind. The darts that it shoots can enter into your heart, and you can fall in love with a beautiful person. You don't know what, what the love feeling is going to do to you. This is how powerful Venus is. Venus had the power to bring Zeus, king of all the gods, to her knees. She could infect Zeus with a love and a desire, and he would sleep around with anything. And, 
And, and so she had power over him or her girdle. She would lend to Hera, Zeus's wife, who was being ignored at home. Well, when she put on Venus's golden girdle, she was irresistible and Zeus had to have her and she had to have Zeus. And so, you know, she was made more romantic and sexual and glamorous when she wore Venus's girdle. The dangers of covetousness, of cupiditas, of cupidity, the dangers of covetousness, so dangerous it had to be named twice in the Ten Commandments. This danger was well known to the Spartan king Tyndarius, who was the father of Helen, who was the most beautiful woman in the world. Now, Tyndarius wasn't the true father of Helen. Helen was actually, uh, her father is Zeus, who disguised himself as a swan who slept with Tyndarius's wife. But nevertheless, Tyndarius, being a sporting fellow, agreed to adopt and raise Helen as his own. Uh, sporting, the other way of seeing that is Tyndarius wasn't going to get into, uh, into a fight with Zeus or get on the bad side of the king of the gods. So he's like, sure, I'll raise her as my own. So he does. And Helen is uh, therefore a princess of Sparta. And this is very interesting because Venus retrogrades, as you know, is the revoking of peace of treaties and truces. This is interesting because Venus retrograde does have a reputation of being associated with war. And here we see Helen, right? The most beautiful woman in the ancient world is a princess of Sparta. What Sparta? Sparta was the most successful warrior kingdom in the ancient world. Sparta had the most magnificent army. Everyone feared Sparta. No one wanted to get on the bad side of Sparta. Children were separated from their families and put into boot camp, you know, by the age of six or seven, and were raised as soldiers. This is admit, this is indeed fact. They were raised as soldiers and to combat and fight uh, in Sparta. And the most important relationship that you had, if you were a man being raised in Sparta, was your bunkmate in this military boot camp that you went to. And actually, uh, many, if not all of them, were lovers. Uh, it was believed that a man would fight most ferociously and sacrifice anything if he was fighting beside his lover on the battlefield. This was actually a Spartan credo, um, because if their lover was slain, they would go into berserker fury, or if they you know, showed a cowardly, like, I don't know if I want to get involved in that, their lover would be like, I am so ashamed of you. I'm breaking up with you. Okay, so Spartan army was a force to be reckoned with. And so the women weren't exactly given a very high rank in Sparta. Women in the ancient Greek world often were given a very high rank. But in Sparta, it was men with men and women in order to um, have children. And then that was it. And the men would go back to war. So this is the environment that Helen was raised in. Okay. And it's, and, and, and Helen is, uh, basically blessed by the benefics. She is a daughter of Zeus and she is the prize of Aphrodite who awards her to Paris in the judgment of Paris. Paris has to decide which the three goddesses, Aphrodite, uh, Athena or Hera will get the golden apple. And uh, Athena promises, you know, military prowess. Hera promises rule over governments and kingdoms. 
And Aphrodite just gets naked and Paris is like, oh, the apple is yours. Okay, so Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, believes that when the going gets tough, the tough get naked. And that's what she did. And she gets awarded the apple. So in, in, in response to this, Aphrodite says, well, you can't have me, but you can have the next best thing. And that's Helen of Troy, the most beautiful woman in the world. And I will give you to her as your lover. You know, and Paris is like, yes, yes. You know, and of course, what do you want from Paris? He's 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 the, he's who the city of Paris, the city of lights, is named after. Okay, so of course, love affair will win out. So so Paris is awarded Helen of Troy, and of course, all the difficulty that comes with that because she also happens to be married already at the time that he awards the apple to uh, Aphrodite. But let's get on back here. Let's roll it back a little bit. The Spartan king Tyndareus knows that his daughter, Helen, and he first comes to this realization. I mean, she's always been a beautiful, lovely child and things like that. But it's when Helen is around maybe 12 or 13, the way that she's maturing, he can see how beautiful a woman she is going to be. And he, he trembles with fear because by being the most beautiful woman in the world, which had been rumored she was going to be, but now he sees for himself she really is going to become the most beautiful woman in, in, in the world. And by the way, at this time, this, uh, Helen is kidnapped twice, okay? Uh, the first time she's kidnapped by Theseus, okay? And, and her brothers, Castor and Pollux, the twins, uh, go and bring her back. So, so there's already been trouble. And now uh, Tyndareus is like, I've got to do something about this trouble. She's too, she's too beautiful, and I can't just put a burqa on her because... She's so beautiful that everyone would know it was Helen anyway, underneath the burqa. So what do I do with Helen? I don't want to become a target of hostility or warring princes uh, who are going to invade, you know, Sparta to try to get Helen. I mean, this is Sparta and we can kick their butts and everything, but constant warfare all the time, you know, let's not go and look for conflict when we don't have to have it. So um, what Tyndareus does is that he resolves to marry Helen, who's about 13 at this time. He, he resolves to marry her off as soon as possible. And so Tyndareus is going to be proactive. I'm not going to wait around for you know, people to wage war on my kingdom. I'm going to, she's marriageable age. She's 13. Yes, 13 was marriageable age in ancient Greece. Um, she's marriageable age. And what I'm going to do is be proactive. And I'm going to send out a call to all the youthful heirs of all the kingdoms in Greece, uh, to all the youthful heirs and princes and bachelor kings, I'm going to send out a call to all of them, and they will assemble in my palace to await Helen's uh, decision. Helen, I'm going to let Helen choose who she wants to marry. Um, but Tyndareus, knowing that, you know, that could get a little still iffy, he consults with his nephew Odysseus. Uh, who, who, uh, who you might know as Ulysses and you might know from the Odyssey. He consults with Odysseus, um, who actually happens to be one of the suitors of Helen at this time. Um, and Odysseus says to Tyndareus, um, what you want to do is bring all these um, suitors together, all right? And they're going to, uh, and, 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 and to have a contest, you know, to do a, uh, an Olympics, you know, to do athletic contests and things like that to show off their prowess for Helen. And whoever emerges out of this as victorious, you know, will obviously be so someone that Helen is drawn to and attracted to. 
Uh, you can already tell Helen doesn't really get to choose the person who the person will be. It's going to be done for her by whoever wins this contest. Uh, whoever wins this contest uh, becomes the husband of Helen. And at that moment, all of the other Greek kingdoms have to pledge allegiance to him. All right. And so uh, if they uh, pledge allegiance to him, they're pledging allegiance to his marriage to Helen to protect and to defend the man who is the husband of Helen. And Tyndarius is like, that's brilliant, Odysseus. So that means when they pledge allegiance to whoever the husband is and to the marriage and the sanctity of the marriage and the protection of the marriage, they will not try to assassinate the husband. They will not try to break up this marriage. Everyone in Greece has to bow a knee to, uh, has to bend a knee to this marriage. And so that's going to take care of conflict. That's going to take care of it. Oh, Odysseus, I love you. I hope you win because you're so smart. You'd make a great husband. But um, let's go at it. Let's, let's call the princes and the heirs and the bachelor kings to an event. And, and whoever wins this event will become the husband of Helen. And so the call goes out and all the men show up. And this is Greek you know, mythology in ancient Greece. And so immediately the men show up and they're very athletic with their their, their muscles, and they immediately strip down to loincloths and oil themselves up and get behind chariots and ride them in ferocious races. And the person who wins at all of these contests is um, a Greek named Menelaus. Menelaus wins. Everyone's like, huzzah, Menelaus. Approval, let's celebrate you. Uh, you have Helen's hand in marriage, and Helen is like, Hello, Menelaus. Good to see you. Um, I'm, I'm your wife. You know, I mean, Helen doesn't really much care. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. And actually, men are kind of like a pain in the ass as far as Helen is concerned. And so she's married to Menelaus. And she's married to Menelaus at the age of 13. And he is much older than she is. And that's the thing about um, Greece, uh, ancient Greece is that if you were at the age of 13 or 14, you could be married off. But the men, on the other hand, the men could be anywhere from 27 to 34, all right? So uh, women were literally children in ancient Greek, Greek society. And, and husbands treated their wives like children because that's what they were. And women basically had no rights. Women also had a shorter life expectancy because many often died in childbirth. Um, as a quick note, rape in ancient Greece was punishable by a fine to be paid to the husband or the woman's male guardian, uh, if it happened to be a woman who wasn't married. And adultery uh, meant that the husband was free to take the life of the lover to free to take the life of the person who had seduced his wife uh, without fear of a trial jury. They could just go out and kill him. All right. So here, Helen is married to Menelaus, and um, she sees her future in front of her. And what happens, what she doesn't see is Paris showing. Okay, Venus has, you know, is going to fulfill her promise to Paris that he will be lovers with the um, most beautiful woman in the world. And so um, Helen, who's not particularly drawn to Menelaus, uh, meets Paris, who happens to be visiting her in Sparta, and she falls in love 
with him. I mean, he's beautiful. He's he's hairless and smooth and all those Trojan guys are gorgeous. I mean, the gods fall in love with the Trojans. People fall in love with Trojans. If you were Trojan, you were absolutely like, you know, beautiful. All right. So, so, so Paris shows up and she's like, Paris. And, and, and Paris is like, Helen, you, you really are the most beautiful woman in the world, you know? And she's like, take me away with you. And Paris is like, yes, I will. We're going to run away tonight. And they do. And they run away to Troy. And you can tell what the next moment's going to be. So Paris is a Trojan. He runs away to Troy with Helen. And Helen, as you all probably know, has, has the beauty, has the face that launched a thousand ships. But what is important to note here is that it's not just that Menelaus has been embarrassed, okay, by Helen running off with, with Paris and, and going off to Troy and, 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 living a, a love and fabulous life. It's, it's not just that. Remember that Venus is connected to truces. Venus is connected to contracts. Venus is connected to treaties. So all of those men who pledged allegiance to the suitor who would win Helen's hand and become her husband, and all of those Greek kingdoms who pledged allegiance to defend this marriage, all right, Menelaus immediately calls them all down on that and says, Paris has run off to Troy with Helen, and you have to fulfill your treaty. You have to fulfill your oath to me, and you have to follow me to Troy, and we're going to get my wife back. So this is not the typical way that we understand or are familiar with the Trojan War. Um, because by itself, she's the most beautiful woman in the world, and he, was, he absconds with someone who's beautiful. The Trojans themselves were like, we're going to war over a woman? I mean, the, this is how uh, misogynistic ancient society could be, but, but the Trojans themselves were like, I could understand if we were going to war because someone invaded our kingdom. Uh, I could understand if we were going to war because people were sacking our colonies. I could understand if we were going to war because people were uh, interrupting trade or, or, or had surrounded our kingdom or something like that. But Paris, are you really going to tell me that we're going to go to war because you ran off with another man's wife? That's why we're fighting this war? Um, and, and it is. Not necessarily because of the shame, or there was the shame. I mean, Menelaus was very much in a position to say, okay, so what about Helen? I'll just marry somebody else. I mean, he was totally in a position to do that. And many Greek kings had done that. But it was Helen, but it was the treaties and the truces. And because the men had pledged allegiance to Menelaus, he was then on the spot. Okay. He was on the spot. He had been um, cuckolded um, and, and shamed, but he had to be the man in the room. Okay. And so it's calling in the contracts and the treaties that send them off to war. And that is, I, I think, I happen to think a very intriguing way of reading a Venus retrograde. The good intention uh, that Odysseus comes up with of staving off wars and battles and people trying to invade Sparta because they have desire for Helen, okay, no one had thought of this outside of the Greek world, 
okay, or, or the, the, the world of the Greek islands. No one had thought of it outside that. They weren't anticipating a foreigner, a Trojan, you know, coming on in and, and running away. So Odysseus's original plan, which was to forestall or, or to head off any kind of competition or rivalry among the kingdoms, actually makes it worse because now all the kingdoms, because they are allied by this promise now, whether they wanted to or not, all of these kingdoms now have to go to war with Troy. And it's, it's again, the covetousness, you know, but in this regard, it's also the honoring of a contract. And so this is actually where betrothal and treaties, no matter how well-intentioned they are, can also be a cause for war. It's something to think about during this time that Venus is retrograde. Reflect on the period of time that led up to the retrograde. In other words, reflect on the period of time when Venus first entered Leo up until when she turns retrograde. The treaties you made, the truces you made, the agreements you made, the relationships that you formed, the, the loves that you pursued, how has that been flipped inside out or upside down? These are things that I want you to reflect upon during the period of time that Venus will be retrograde, which is from July 22nd until September 3rd. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.